Lord, it is my prayer today that as we look at your word, Father, that you would look at our hearts and show us what you see. Father, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that we would be fully understanding, Lord God, of what your will is, and that we would leave this place better equipped to serve you, to walk in obedience to your standards, Lord God, and to live righteously before you and before this world. We thank you because it is by grace alone that all of this is possible, and we honor you for providing it for us. In Jesus' name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. For the last few weeks, I have dealt with a series entitled The Overcoming Church Focus, The Overcoming Church Focus, and today, um, I think, and I say I think because I'm not sure how long it's going to take me, it may be two parts here, but I think this will be the last message that I will preach from this series, and it is entitled, the title of the message is a little different. Remember when we looked at this, um, the, 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 the seven churches that are written in the book of Revelation, I've entitled this message, The Eighth Church. The eighth church. Why is that? Because when God was inspiring these words, he was not solely thinking about these seven churches. He was thinking about every church that would come for every generation after that. And every generation after that would be the eighth church. So no matter who it is, he was thinking about us. When he was speaking to the church of Ephesus, he was thinking about us. When he was talking to Pergamos, he was talking, he was thinking about us. He was making sure that we would be, that we would be able to have the full counsel of God. And one of the things that we want to do is we don't just want to look at the Bible and look at the series of messages and say, okay, well, you know, that's good. That's what happened in Ephesus or that's what happened here or there. But what, what I am hoping and what my prayer is that we will internalize the preaching of the word of God and that we will look at every single detail that we have been given regarding these churches and that we will look to see, okay, how does my life look in comparison to these churches? That is the point of hearing the word of God preached is so that way we can hear it and we can and we can allow our lives to be evaluated by the word of God and we can see where we're at. I want to say this as we start. It is of the utmost importance and this is going to sound like so basic, but I really want you to get this. It is of the utmost importance that we strive above all things to know Jesus and grow in the revelation that he is. Now, that may sound basic, but we lose that. We lose sight of that. And what I want you to realize is that most people, when they approach the very book of Revelation, and, and I will not ask you to raise your hand, but many folks will communicate, man, this is, you know, this is a scary book. You know, I, I, I don't want to read the book of Revelation. I'm afraid of that. And, and really, there is no reason to be afraid because there is a blessing in you reading and keeping what the book of, Re what the book of Revelation communicates. And unless, now hear me when I say this, unless you are afraid of Jesus in a negative way there's no need to be afraid of the book of Revelation when you look at the first verse look at the first verse verse 1 it says this the revelation of Jesus Christ the revelation of Jesus Christ that is what the book of Revelation is all about the revelation of Jesus Christ the purpose of this entire book is to reveal him when you look at the word re revelation it, 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 it's a Greek word and what it means is to uncover to make known or to make bare and so what God is saying is that he wants to give us a more full revelation what the book of Revelation is is it is a progressive revelation unto the church of the full splendor and error of our God. Hear me. The only reason you should be afraid of the book of Revelation is if you don't know Jesus. Amen? 
That's the only reason why we should be afraid of the book of Revelation and not want to read it. If you don't know Jesus, it's a scary book. If you don't know Jesus, it's a scary book. Why? Because you don't have any hope. You don't have any protection. The only thing you have hope of is the judgments to come. The only thing you have hope of is the plagues to come. The only thing you have hope of is the devastation that is promised throughout this book. But if you know Jesus, you realize that through all of this, he's with you. Therefore, if God is with you, then who can be against you? If he's with you, then you have nothing to be afraid of. And so the book of Revelation is all about that. It is about uncovering or making Jesus more fully known. When you read the, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get a revelation of Jesus in, in, in fullness. And, and mind you, we'll go through the Gospels at some point. And when we do, we'll look at how each book depicts a different part of who Jesus is in, 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 in his fullness. But when you see him, you see him not in his fully glorified state, nowhere in the Gospels. But when you you turn to the book of Revelation, you get a full picture of Jesus today. Not the Jesus who was spit on, not the Jesus who was beaten, not the Jesus who was nailed to the cross, but the Jesus who is victorious, the Jesus who is the overcomer, the Jesus who is enthroned in glory, the Jesus who is judging the nations, the Jesus who is king over all kings, the Jesus who is enthroned in glory. That's the revelation that you get in this book. So we should be striving with all of our heart and with all of our soul to know him better to know him more fully and that is his desire because mind you when you read the text you see that John didn't ask for this revelation John wasn't sitting on the island of Patmos saying father give me another revelation of Jesus that isn't what happened he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and that was Sunday he was seeking God worship whatever and God catches him up in the spirit and begins to speak to him why because God wants to give us more and fuller revelation of himself he doesn't want us to ever feel. And when you look at the book of Revelation, it's, 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 it's not a book to be afraid of, but it is a book that you really need to be discerning when you read it. You really need to make sure you know what is being literal, what is being figurative, what it is that God is trying to communicate, and that way you can get the full revelation. But here's the thing that happens to us. When we read this book, we get caught up on stuff. We get caught up on the mark of the beast, and what's that going to be? Is it going to be a literal 666, or is it going to be something else? We get caught up on things like, is Jesus coming before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or the end of the tribulation? We get caught up on points, and we forget about the purpose. It is the revelation of Jesus. In all of it, the thing we should be desiring is that no matter what, if the tribulation or if the rapture occurs before that we go, if it happens in the middle, that we're with him. If it happens in the end, that he is with us. That is what we should be concerned about, that we know him. Whether it is a 666 or a 333 or a 444, whatever the number is, we should be more concerned that we have the mark of the seal of God on us. That way we don't experience the tribulation. No matter what it is that we're experiencing or feeling or what we're reading when we're looking at this book, the most important thing is Jesus and as a Christian it becomes the same thing for us in our lives in our daily life whether we're reading the book of Revelation or we're looking at a nightmare in our lives or we're looking at circumstances that are going on the most important thing is for us to know him better is to walk with him in more intimacy. We strive after goals when we're younger you know we're, we're in school and we start to think about what I want to be when I grow up Listen, whatever you want to be, that's wonderful and glorious. Just make sure that it is that you want to know him above anything else. That you want to know him. I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't get educated. I'm not saying sit yourself under a rock and just ask to know Jesus. That is not what I'm communicating. What I am communicating is make sure that no other goal in your life trumps you knowing him. 
Make sure that no other, uh, other decision or any other desire trumps you know him. Throughout this series, like I said, my hope is that we internalize the messages and that we allow the Spirit of God to show us where repentance is necessary and where perseverance is needed and above all else that we understand that whether it is repentance that we need to do or it is perseverance that we need to continue in, we need a greater revelation of Jesus to do either one. If it is repentance, you need a greater revelation of him. If it is perseverance, you need a greater revelation of him. No matter how good. Now, when we looked at this series, remember, we looked at seven churches. Two of those seven churches got no rebuke from the Lord. They were encouraged. They were challenged. The other five, they were rebuked and they were communicated on some things that they need to do in the area of repentance. And so I want you to sit, think about this for a moment because you may have been sitting down there in those seats. And as I preached the messages, you were looking at yourself and you were like, well, you know, I have a lot of love in my heart and all of these things. And I'm not going after false doctrine. And And so you may view yourself as being pretty good. And that's okay. I'm not saying every person in here is horrible. We're all at different places and I walk with Jesus. And some of us may not have issues with false doctrine. Some of us may not have issues with being unloving. Some of us may not have issues with fornication and idolatry. I have to say that most of us probably don't realize the issues that we have in many areas. That's the reason we need to let the Holy Spirit deal with us. But nonetheless, if you are sitting there and you feel like you're pretty good about yourself or or you're doing pretty good, I want to encourage you, you need to be humbled and recognize that you're only that good because of God's grace working in you so don't get a fat head thinking oh I'm I'm pretty good you know I don't need to repent the rest of these heathens need to repent Mm -hmm. that is a sure sign you need repentance one of the surest signs that you know that the grace of God is working in you it's when you start to see your goodness and you begin to recognize man this is not me you begin to recognize man I couldn't be that good on my own hear what I just said I couldn't be that good on my own. I, could, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have not cussed that person out on my own. I could not have acted that way as, a, as, a, as an honorable wife on my own. I couldn't have acted that loving way in the midst of that situation as a godly husband on my own. You see, when you start recognizing that stuff, you don't get all a big head about it. You're like, man, thank you, Jesus. It also keeps you from pointing fingers at everybody else who's not so good. The one that did cuss someone out, you're not so quick to just be like, oh, they're going to hell. I'm not saying they're not going to hell. I'm just saying you won't be so quick to say that. Hello. (laughs) And there's another group of people in here. You may feel like you are just wretched, wicked. You feel like, man, I am the most horrible representation of a Christian on the planet. You need to understand something as well. The grace of God is sufficient for your weaknesses. And it is strong enough to deliver you from your sin. What Jesus did on that cross was amazing. That's why the revelation is all about him. It's not about, remember, when he communicates to these churches, he makes it abundantly clear to them. This is who he is. Then he talks to them about who they are. And whenever he says something good about them, he was only saying, look, the good stuff you got is me. The rest of it, hello. If you have some things to be rebuked on, that's because you have lost focus of me. And so this is important for us because as I was looking at the overcoming church focus, the title, I said, okay, what are we going to be focused on? What is it that the overcoming church, what is it that we should be living for? And and this this is very important. The overcoming church is committed to the exaltation of Jesus and the examination of itself. Let me say it again. The overcoming church is committed to the exaltation of Jesus and the examination of itself. 
It is important that we are not committed to one or the other, but that we are committed to both because they will both keep us in balance. Hear me. When we only just want to just focus on, okay, I I just want to just focus on the, the love of Jesus and this and that, and I never look inside of myself, we have issues. We have issues when I never want to look at the word of God and change. And here's what I mean by that. Because you're not fully focused on Jesus. If you were really focused on him, trust me, Jesus will bring you back to his word because he is his word. Hello. He will bring you back to his word and he will show you, okay, this doesn't align with me if you're really focused on him. And automatically you will be committed to examining yourself. But you can't just be committed to examining yourself because you're going to walk around mighty depressed. Either mighty depressed or mighty proud. It will be one of the two. You will walk around depressed because you start to realize every day of your life how far you fall short of the glory of God. You will just look at yourself and you will beat yourself up every day. And listen, I don't believe, I'm just saying, Jesus got beaten enough for all of us. I don't think he wants us to walk around beating ourselves up. I'm sorry. I think he wants us to walk in truth. And truth means that I acknowledge my need for repentance, I confess my sin, I turn from my sin, and I submit myself to the Savior who died in my place, and I live under the power of his grace. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that I walk around like, well, I don't care about my sin. That's not it either. Because when you really know him, you realize every time that you do something wrong, man, there's something wrong inside of you. You are convicted of your sin. But the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a difference. Some of us want to um, have, have a different burden on us that the Bible says we're not even supposed to have. We want to condemn ourselves as though the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not enough. It's important that we focus on Jesus. That is the focus of the overcoming church. We focus on him. We exalt him. We focus on lifting him up. We focus on bringing him glory and bringing him honor. And as a result, we will automatically be focused on examining ourselves. Please repeat this after me. The focal point of the overcoming church is the person of Jesus Christ, period. Let me say it again. The focal point of the overcoming church is the person of Jesus Christ, period. If you want to be an overcomer, focus on Jesus. If you want to be an overcomer, get your eyes set on Jesus. The opening of Revelation points us to Jesus where the eyes of our heart must be fixed. You all know that song, right? I'm sure you've heard it before. Open the eyes of my heart. What he's saying is saying, look, I want you to, my heart sees things. My heart has affections and things that it focuses on. Open the eyes of my heart so I can see you. He wants, he's saying, the writer is saying, God, open the eyes of my heart because my eyes need to be fixed on you. The issue comes in when we start looking at other things we start looking at other people we start focusing on other stuff rather than focusing on Jesus and we end up getting lost in the mix too many of us hear what I'm about to say too many of us are keeping Christ in sight and we feel that that's enough yet we are supposed to be focused upon Christ in order to keep other things in proper perspective too many of us too many of us are keeping Jesus in sight. You see, when I'm looking, I'm looking at Ivan right now, right? I can see my wife. She's still in sight. Peripheral vision. I'm not focused on her. And that's how some of us are. We keep Jesus in sight. We're not focused on him, but we, he's there. We're not focused on him. I have a picture. Can you put that picture up there really quickly? 
I, I, I want to give you a visual. I was looking on Facebook. I, I don't know if you, you were able to see this. And, and this picture, it may, may not get, do justice to what I'm, what I'm saying. This is a really nice picture when you look at it on Facebook. It's a little bit bigger here. But I want you to notice something. In this picture, you see some beautiful people, right? The first person you see, my daughter. Second person you see, beautiful wife. Third person you see, you see her chin, her lips, and her nose, Pastor Marisol Bennett. Next person you see, Pastor Robert. The last person you see over here is who? Pastor Vanessa, right? She's not sitting there today. She moved on us. But anyway, when you look at this picture, who is this picture focused on? Right? Just depends. It's one of these two here, right? That's the focus. Other people are in the picture, though. But the focus is not on them. Here's what happens to us. We are supposed to be fixed on Jesus, fixed on him. If Pastor Robert represented Jesus there, we're not fixed on him. We, can, we see that he's looking, we see what he's doing, but we're not focused on him. We can't see the details of his face. We can't. Pastor Vanessa, even worse. And so what happens to our lives is, is problems begin to take position one. People begin to take position two. And Jesus is somewhere over there out of focus. We're not looking at him. And so our problems get a greater um, 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 attention from us. People get a greater attention from us rather than us focusing on him and keeping all of those things in perspective. But we don't focus on him. But he's in sight. You see, he, he, what, what, what do you mean I don't love Jesus? I think about him. That doesn't, that's not the same as, oh, well, you know, I pray all day. But do you get on your face before your God and shut the phone off and shut the door and lock yourself away from everybody else? And do you get with him? There's a difference between locking myself up with the king, between getting in the presence of God and me thinking about Jesus all day. Listen, you should be thinking about him all day, but you better, and listen, I say this, you better have a time that you get with God and that you and him are locked up and that there are no distractions. Because if you don't, man, I'm going to guarantee your life is going to be out of balance. You're not going to be the Christian you're supposed to be. You're not going to be walking in the fullness of the grace of God. As we were in the covenant couples meeting yesterday, and I encourage all the couples, if you are not making it, you need to make every effort to be there. But as we're sitting there in the covenant couples meeting and, and, and we're communicating, you know, I'm, I was sitting down and I don't remember how it came up, but the topic of favor came up in the meeting. I don't know. And, and as I was sitting there, it was like right there, the Lord just illuminated my heart or reminded me. And he said, it's not that we're trying to earn God's favor. Hear what I'm saying. We're not trying to earn God's favor. Jesus already bought and paid the price for God's favor. What we are doing as we walk in obedience is we are releasing God's favor. That's all we're doing. As we are walking in obedience, we see the favor and the grace of God in our lives in areas where if we didn't walk in obedience, we wouldn't see it. And it is important for us to recognize that we are called to focus, to live our lives focused on Jesus. And if we don't, stuff will be out of perspective. Again, I say this as I move to my next point. The book of Revelation is about one thing primarily. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In every judgment and everything, it's to get you focused on him. Yeah, it's to warn you about the things that are going to happen. It's to show you about the things that are going to occur. But don't lose sight of who Jesus is. Don't lose focus of who Jesus is in the midst of all of that. Don't get caught up in other things. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. The practice of the overcoming church is progressive examination. The practice of the overcoming church is progressive examination. 
Now, I want you to understand what I mean by progressive. It means that we grow in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the end of 2 Peter. That's the last verse in there. And so we grow in this. It's not something that we just come to Jesus and we just know him. I thought that when I first came to Jesus, and what I mean by you don't know him, you don't know him in his fullness. That's what I mean. But when I first came to Jesus, radically transformed, God intervened in my life, and he began to deal with me. And, man, I'm going to tell you right now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I really thought, man, I really thought that I had arrived. No joke. I thought that I had arrived. I mean, I was like serious. I was in my Bible. I was, I was one of those Christians looking at everybody else in the youth group like, man, what's wrong with y'all, man? Y'all don't know what the Bible says, man? Y'all don't know what the scriptures teach? I mean, I was seriously had a big head, glory to God. And I thought, but, you know, and, and I, didn't, I didn't realize this. I, I, I didn't realize where, where, where I thought I was. And, and, I, and I remember I was like, man, I, I, but I tell you what, I love Jesus with all of my heart. Now, what, it wasn't a question of me loving Jesus. It was where was I at in my full understanding of who he is. And then a few years later, I had the privilege of going to New York. And it was a, a lot of years later because it was about five years ago. And so it was probably about 11 years later. I went to New York for the first time and I met with one of my mentors, um, Felix Arroyo. And when I sat down with Felix and him and I were talking, he said something that just like shook me, man. It like almost broke my heart. He was like, yeah, you know, I was talking to so-and-so about you. I'm like, well, you know how Jason is. I'm like, hold on, Felix, you didn't know me when I was in the world, man. You knew me when I was in church. You knew me when I was walking with Jesus. And you're telling me that I had a chip on my shoulder? You're telling me that I had to, and he began to explain these things to me. And I began to think, I'm like, man, you know what it was? Is that I had a, a certain part of the revelation of Jesus. I didn't have the full revelation. I still don't have the full revelation of Jesus. When I get to that place, I will see him in glory. That is when the full revelation of Jesus comes, the bottom line. Because right now we know in part, amen? We don't, we, we don't know him in his fullness. We'll never know him in his fullness here. But what happens is, I want you to understand what I mean by progressive examination. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. I want you to look at this, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 12 to contextualize what Paul is saying here. When you got to say amen. amen. It says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now, I want you to hear what the apostle is saying. He communicates. He hasn't arrived. He hasn't gotten there. He's not, he's not, he's not boasting about anything. He's not feeling, I'm the man. None of that stuff is coming out of his mouth. He's saying, I haven't attained. I'm pressing forward towards something. But he says something in verse 15. Therefore, let us, that's all of us believers, as many as are mature who have grown into some things, have this mind. 
In other words, we should all walk with the same mindset that we have not attained yet. We haven't gotten all the answers. We haven't locked down every doctrine. We don't have everything perfect yet. Not all of us have gotten there. And if anything you think otherwise, if you have a different mindset, you haven't grown in this, God will reveal even this to you. What he's saying is God is continually revealing to you. And so I'll give you the example in my own life. When I first got saved, y'all remember, I had, I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I came straight out of the world. I didn't have an issue with dancing or anything like that. And so I went to, a, you know, um, um, I don't remember what it was. What was it? It was a um, graduation. No, not a graduation. No, it wasn't a quinceanera. That was the second time. The first time. <laughs> it's progressive, you know, progressive, progressive issues that I had. The first time I went to a homecoming dance with some people, I, didn't, I wasn't even in high school. Um, I just knew some people from high school in a youth group, and they were going to this dance. And so they went there, and let me, let, me just, let me just pause for a moment. I don't suggest anybody participate in stuff like that. That is not what I'm trying to condone in case I don't say this later on. What I'm saying is this. I went to this thing, right, with, the, with, with, with these people, Christian folk. Now, mind you, y'all been, because I know all of us weren't born in church. So for us that weren't born in church, we know what a homecoming dance looks like. Inside the gymnasium, right, and you got, like, this big dance floor up in in the middle where everybody's getting crazy right right you know that area there and then there's on the side you have the people that may be leaning up against the wall whatever and then you have the little groups over here they don't want to get crazy they want to have a good time but they don't want to get crazy right well I was in that group wanted to have a good time not get crazy we're over here it was just like five of us we we're dancing we weren't grinding on each other we weren't doing nothing crazy pastor calls me to his office and listen I heard you went to this homecoming and you were dancing I'm like, yeah. He said, you definitely shouldn't be in an environment like that. I was like, you know what? You're right, man. Listening to ungodly music. People are not there to glorify Jesus. Unless I'm there to evangelize, what business do I have there? He was absolutely correct. I should not have been in that environment. Walked out of the meeting. Everything was good. Had no issue with that. A couple of months later, I get invited to the quinceanera. <laughs> now, totally different situation. In this place... This was in a church, in the sanctuary of a church, all right? It's like we moved these chairs out, set up tables. There was a pastor there, did the ceremony. He was sitting on the sideline watching everything that happened. Everybody there was, was well, you know, predominantly Christian. All of the music they played, Christian. No secular music at all. All of it was Christian, right? Go to this thing. I'm good. Among Christians, got a pastor's blessing here. Good to go. Everything is legit. Come home. You know, I did dance a little bit. I tried anyway. <laughs> I don't know. My wife taught me that I don't know how to dance to Spanish music, glory to God. But I thought I was doing good. And then I met her and I was like, yeah, I won't do that again. <laughs> She's trying to teach me, but I just, you know. Anyway. So I find myself in the pastor's office again. And I'm like, Pastor. Now, this time I came with some serious, I had scripture. I was like, yo, I said, there was no non, I mean, there may, there may have been non-Christians there. There was no secular music being played. We were all Christian. Nobody was dancing dirty. Everything was good. Pastor was there. He blessed the ceremony. Everything was okay, Pastor. I, I mean, come on. Work, you know, it was, it was Christian music. He's like, no, we, we don't dance in this church. I'm like, man. I said, but David danced out of his clothes. I got biblical on him. I was like. Didn't David dance out of his stuff? Now, mind you, I got biblical. I'm pulling scripture out. I'm like, he should have said to me, Jason, 
were you bringing the Ark of the Covenant in or something like that? Because that's what David was dancing out of his clothes for. Were y'all doing some kind of ceremony like that? Because you're getting crazy. And so, you know, I, I thought, you know, it was deep, right? Because someone else threw that one out there, and I just listened to what someone else said. Anyway, the point is, we sat there, we went back and forth for a few minutes, and then I said, look, man, I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I absolutely disagree with you. And I said, but you are the pastor of this church, and I will submit to whatever you say, and I never dance again. And I hear it every time, even at my wedding. I didn't dance with my wife. Mm. Every time we see a wedding picture, she's like, you didn't dance with me. I'm going to have to renew my vows just so I can dance. Glory to God. So, <clears throat> that's funny. Take some lessons from Pastor Robert, get some dancing lessons. Be like, look, girl, what's up now, huh? What's up? Uh-huh. <laughs> Glory to God. I know y'all think Pastor Robert is holy, but he can get down, all right? Praise the Lord. So, ultimately, here's, here's the reason why I share this story with you. I was at a certain place in my walk with Jesus. I didn't agree with the whole, you know, principle that he was putting forward. As I grew with the Lord, I began to understand something. You can be dancing to Christian music. You can be in a Christian environment. You can't control the thoughts of other people. And someone can be lusting over you because you're dancing so great or not even because you're dancing so great, just because you have a nice body and you are causing them to sin. It's a different perspective because if I'm operating in love, I need to think about everybody watching what's going on. Now, it's not just about me. It's not just about me. Well, I'm free. Okay, but don't let my freedom be a reason to cause someone else to sin. And so I began to understand something. And here's what happened. I had a certain revelation of God, and God began to reveal himself more clearly to me and his principles more clearly. And so it, it brings us to the next verse, and it says this in verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. And so everybody is at a different place in their walk with God. Everybody is at a different place in their understanding of who Jesus is. We are all growing up in the grace of God. Therefore, what I need to do as a more mature believer is do as the Apostle Paul says, and when I see my brother or my sister overtaken in any trespass, or even not necessarily in a trespass, just in an immaturity in their way of thinking, what I need to do is in love communicate with them, not condemn them. That's what I need to do. But now for me as the person, I want to let you know this. I have a right. Hear what I'm going to say. Every, every leader in this church has a right to grow in their convictions and understanding of God's word and change our minds. You didn't like that. I know you didn't. You were okay with growing and understanding conviction. The moment I said change mind, you didn't like that. If I ever change my mind about who saves you, we have issues. If we ever change our mind on foundational, if I start talking to you about craziness, we have issues. But when I grow in conviction, like the one I just gave you an example, I wasn't convicted about the dancing thing. I'm still not convicted about dancing per se. I can dance with my wife and it's all good. But when it comes to a public environment, I need to be wise. So my convictions grow. And what can happen is today I can be clearly like, man, this is what it is. And as I grow in the understanding of the word of God, you know what happens? 
I get convicted. I begin to see what the scriptures are saying. God begins to reveal some things to me. And you want to know what? Here's the beauty of God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, Nevertheless, to the degree that you have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. In other words, God is not calling me to live like so-and-so. He is calling me to live within the confines of the revelation of him that I have. And that way I bring him glory and I'm not trying to be someone else. It doesn't mean that Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Paul was at a whole nother level from these people. And so it is important for you to look at the lives of others and figure out why do they live the way they do? Why do they practice the things they practice? But don't just say, well, I'm going to do this because so-and-so is spiritual. They seem like God is all over them. Therefore, I'm going to live like they live. Wait a second. They have a foundation for their living. Do you? Because I'm not your foundation. Jesus is. Again, it comes back to him. It's not about my way of living because here's the thing. When I sat with my pastor, I submitted to him. You know who convicted me of what I was doing? The Holy Ghost. Jesus began to show me where the error was. And so it is important for us to understand, okay, we have to progressively examine ourselves. In other words, as we grow in the revelation of God, as we grow in the understanding of his word, we should never feel like I have arrived, but I examine my life. We examine the ministry. We begin to look at things from the revelation that we have attained because now we are responsible. I'll give you another example that's a little bit more close to heart. Just a couple of months ago, I was teaching in the mentoring program in the last phase. And we're dealing with leadership. And I decided that I was going to deal with a topic that is a not, not a popular topic. It is a very sensitive topic. And for some of you, you'll remember, it was when we started talking about women and eldership in the church. Not a popular topic. Very sensitive, especially in our day. Anybody who gets up and says that a woman cannot be an elder in the church, man, they're about to get shot. I just thank God that I know y'all, and y'all know me, praise the Lord Jesus. And that God didn't call me to come and preach this. You know, it wouldn't matter what he called me to preach it. But ultimately, the thing was, this is a topic that I had never, ever dug into. Never. I never, I, I never really dug into the scriptures to see what the scriptures fully communicated about women in eldership. Didn't do that. But we did in that class. For those weeks that we were in that class, and we began to get a biblical understanding that men are called to be elders in the church, period. That's what your Bible teaches. That's what our belief is, period. And so we're still working as a leadership team. We're working, we're, we're actually haven't gotten to get together and really sit down and deal with some of these topics specifically. But ultimately, here's what you got to understand is that in the beginning of this church, my wife, the first elder that I made in this church was my wife. I didn't know any better. Was I wrong? Absolutely. Is God going to beat me over the head for it? No. Because I was simply going by what I had been taught, what I had seen exemplified, and so now we grow in this revelation. We grow in the understanding of who God is, and now we are responsible. Now we are responsible to do right. To live according to the revelation. To live according to what we have already attained. As we grow in this, as we begin to understand more and more, we're responsible to evaluate. We're responsible to examine. When we look at, first, at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, you can turn there as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 13.
2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll be, we will read verse 5. You got to say amen. amen. This is what the Apostle Paul challenges the church at Corinth. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. He's telling the church, examine yourself regarding you being in the faith. Examine yourself. He's specifically talking about, man, you need to check, are you saved or not? That's what he's saying. He's, he's not, again, I want, you got to understand, he's not talking to the world. That, that, who, that isn't who this scripture was written to. He is talking to the church. He is telling them, examine yourselves. Continuously examine yourselves. Continuously look at what the, look at your life in light of the scriptures. This is what we did when we looked at all of these different churches. When we looked at all of these churches, let's look at them just real quickly. We'll run through them. I won't spend a whole lot of time. But it's important for us to look at what we learned from these churches. When we looked at the church of Ephesus, we learned how important our motives for our actions are. We learned that you can have empty orthodoxy. In other words, you can have all the doctrines. You can have all of the practices. You can do everything by the book. And you can lack love. And without love, God is like, nope. You don't have love. And so you know what we understand? What we understand is that there are some of us, if the shoe fits, wear it, repent, and walk out of, where, of that place. Some of us, man, we are sticklers for every jot, every tittle, make sure everything, every T is crossed, every I is dot. We, listen, nothing can be out of place. You are going to hell if you take a scripture out of context. That, some of us, and, and listen, if there's one thing, and, and I will tell you right now, one of the things that, it's, it's a good thing, but then it's another thing that I, sometimes I'm like, man, you know, it's, we, we almost create a monster. A lot, a, lot, a lot of folks at Faith Dome, someone comes in here, and they say something that's crazy, and y'all be looking at the pastors, and we're like, man, y'all can't get past that. You will, you will not get past one statement that someone said because you've been taught well. Praise God that you've been taught well. But understand, folks are growing. People have different opinions about stuff. Just because they said a horrible statement, it doesn't mean all of their doctrine is just garbage. It's where love comes in. And then what do I do? Well, you know what? You're so mature and so wonderful. I've told you this a hundred times with me, right? I've told you if, you, if I say something that's wrong, please come and ask me. You don't have to get crazy in church. You can come and ask me after church. Sister Michelle, she was sitting in a class, we were talking about faith, and she said, she, after the, she didn't make a big deal about it in the class, you know, she kind of asked the question, left it alone. After class, she's like, all right, so explain this to me again, because I was taught this way about faith, and so she asked the question, I wasn't offended, I wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, what's wrong with her, she's rebellious, I, come on. <laughs> she had a question, man, she heard something that she had never heard before. And so if you hear something, and it was not just something she had never heard before, it was something that was contrary to her beliefs. It was something that went against what she had been taught. You got to understand that. You're sitting down in a seat. You hear something that goes against what you've been taught. Please give the person communicating it the opportunity to explain. At worst, they're going to have to repent. At best, you get a revelation from God and you move forward and grow in grace. But some of us, we got no love in our heart. No, I mean, no, we, we, don't, we don't listen. Someone says something, we are just like jerks. Straight up. 
Straight up. Just people don't even want it. You're just arrogant. Got an attitude. See, you got to look at yourself and say, wait a second, is this me? If it's you, he calls you to repentance. When we look at Smyrna, we see this church didn't get rebuked at all. This was a poor church. This is a persecuted church, and I said this was the perfect church. Why? Because they thought poverty, persecution, that means that we're something, something's wrong because the favor of God is not manifesting on us. There are Christians today who would tell you that. If you're broke and you have this, you have, something's wrong with you. You're in sin somewhere. Usually your sin is you're not giving enough. That's usually the sin. But this church, we learn from this church, persecution, poverty, don't always mean God has left us or that we're being unfaithful to God. Sometimes it's just part of the process. Sometimes it's just part of us being able to be witnesses where we are because through our difficulty, through our challenges, and somebody needed to hear that message. Needed to hear and hear because you are a person that is going through all kind of hardship. You don't understand why hell is breaking loose everywhere. What have you done wrong? Nothing. You're trying to dig, look under rocks, for figure. You're trying to find a trail to how it is that you're experiencing this. And all you can find in all sincerity is, man, I've been trying to be faithful to God. I've been trying to seek God. I've been trying to pursue him. I've been turning away from sin as often as possible. I'm not perfect, but, man, I know that I'm trying. I'm striving to know Jesus. And you're still going through hellacious situations. It doesn't mean you're in sin. Continue to persevere. When we look at the church of Pergamum, this church, we learn how important sound doctrine is. Now, mind you, I know it was a little slap in the face to those who are like doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. But I want you to understand, you cannot just be so filled with love, love, love that you forget about doctrine. You can't just love everybody to death and just hope that they get it right. No, that's wrong too. Because then what happens is you have an imbalanced church. And so this church, they allow false doctrine in. And some of you, in the name of love, won't correct anyone. I want you to think about it like this. You say you love your child, right? If your child is getting ready to run out into the street and you have the ability to stop them before they do this, are you going to stop them or are you going to say, oh, I love them too much and I don't want to knock them down? Think about this. Whatever you weigh, you're not going to do a quarter of the damage that the car is going to do that is going to smash them into the pavement. Oh, they're going to get hurt because you, you know, you, but you know what you're going to do when you hit them or you grab them? You're going to roll with them. You're going to do your best to make sure they don't get hurt. And and probably what's going to happen more than anything else, they may get a little jerked, but they're just going to be scared. That's it. And so what happens to us, some of us, we don't say nothing to anyone. We don't say anything to anyone, we love them too much. That's not true, you don't love them enough. You don't love them enough. You don't love them enough to confront them. Doesn't mean you gotta be a jerk. Doesn't mean you gotta be like, you know, ego trip doctrine man over there. Or doctrine woman, whatever, I'll say woman or whatever. It doesn't, women get crazy too. Right? You don't have to be like that. And we get afraid, I don't wanna be that way. Listen. Speak the truth in love. Because if you don't, what happens? The Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You start letting sin in, and then before you know it, well, they're living in sin, they're living in sin, they're doing wrong, he's doing wrong, she's doing wrong. And so then everybody says, I'm just going to live how I want to live. No. 
We look at the next church, the church of Sardis. This church was different. Um, we learned that the name, the name and the appearance of life is not the same as being alive. Totally different. There's a difference between sounding alive. There's a difference between calling yourself a Christian and being a Christian. There's a difference. There's a difference between us truly having the life of God manifesting in us and us not. There's a difference. You can sound alive, you can look alive, but it's not the same. We must be alive. And there's some people, you walk around and you think, well, you know, because I go to so-and-so church, maybe Faith Dome, whatever, I go to a living church, I go to this and that, I participate in activities that I'm alive, that doesn't mean you're alive. You can look alive, and as a matter of fact, when he communicates to this church, he tells them, you need to revive the things that still remain that are about to die. So for some folk, you're on the verge of dying. You're on the verge of things just going kaput. You're on the verge of just walking out into the world or just being lost sitting in the church. And we'll get to that church in a moment. I skipped over one church, and it was the church of Thyatira. That church was the one that was next to Pergamum. And and, and in Pergamum, it was bad teaching by the Nicolaitans. They had allowed that stuff in there, which created fornication and and idolatry, which becomes one of the greatest issues. I already told you, everybody in this room, whether you want to admit it or not, you struggle with idolatry, and it is worship of yourself, bottom line. Everyone. You make decisions if you're going to worship God or worship yourself. That's what we all do. And I said everyone in this room, that includes me. But in this church in Thyatira, it was different. They had bad doctrine, but it wasn't because of bad teaching. It was because of false prophecy. Remember the prophetess Jezebel? And see, here's the issue with some of us. With some of us, we, we so desperately long to see the supernatural, we'll just accept anything. We don't test any spirits. We don't test any prophet. We so longingly want to hear a word from God that we just accept any prophetic word and it sounds like, oh, that's good. Help, I, I, you got you to get this. Revelation 19 and verse 10. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The heart of any prophecy, if it doesn't point you to Jesus, there's an issue. Hear me. If it doesn't, if, if it's not pointing you to him, there's an issue. There's a problem. It doesn't mean that you're not going to hear something about your life and you're going to know that Jesus is with you. And that, I'm not talking about people not being able to talk about other stuff. You read the prophecies in scripture, not every single thing, when they dealt with destruction, it wasn't saying Jesus right there. It was bringing them to repent, though, to turn back to God. But this church, they're like, just come prophesy to us. And then they felt so good because they had all this supernatural stuff going on. They had all these prophecies. Every Sunday, people were getting a word from the Lord. Every time they came together, come on, sister, I got a word for you. Come on, brother, come. Just line them up. I got to give a word, 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 word. That's how it was. And I'm imagining that's how it was. Ultimately, she was false prophesying, bad doctrine in the church. And some of us, we need to repent of that. Running after all kinds of things instead of running after Jesus. You'll stop running after stuff when you start running after him for real. You'll stop seeking after signs and wonders when you have him, when he becomes enough for us. The next church that we talked about after Sardis was the church of Philadelphia. Again, this church not rebuked. This church was was full of faith, and this church was faithful. And God said that that was more important than all the supernatural we could see. And for some of us, we wonder, man, you know, I'm not seeing all of this stuff in my life. I'm not seeing all of these great things. But you know what God is saying? Just be faithful. Be faithful. Continue to walk with me. 
And the last church that we talked about was the church of Laodicea. And this church, I entitled the message, The Church That Was Grossly Deceived. This is the church that was lukewarm. This is the church that had all of the comforts, all of the external things. Everything looked like God was all over it. And this church was so grossly deceived that Jesus was outside of the church knocking on the door saying, let me in. And what we need to realize is that many of us fall into that category. We get comfortable. We think, well, everything looks good. It, it is apparent. I have blessing all over my life. Everything is great. And the reality is you don't know him anymore. You're not walking with him. He's asking to enter in so he can commune with you and you can have relationship. It is important that we continually examine our lives in the light of God's word. And this is my prayer, is that we would find no rest for our soul that does not come from the spirit of grace. That we would not find rest in other things, that we would not find rest in the accolades or the applause of men, but that we would only find rest as we are seeking God and the spirit of grace is showing us continue to move forward. Continue to move forward in my grace. And closing, this is the last thing that I want to say, two things actually. And the first one is this. The potential of the overcoming church is in its ability to hear. And I will deal with that on Friday when we have service. I'll talk about that particular point. But here's the last thing that I'll say. The fruit of the overcoming church is this. And it is a church that is Christ-focused who are Christ followers. That is the fruit. The fruit of the overcoming church are people who are Christ-focused and they're Christ-followers. The beauty of this is that when you have a church or you have a home, we'll use the home for an example, a man doesn't have to threaten his wife to make her submit because if he leads his wife to Jesus, guess what's going to happen? She's going to follow Jesus, and by her following Jesus, she's going to follow the man's lead. Amen, somebody. A wife doesn't have to sit there and, and, and bargain with her husband. I'll just let you add whatever you think she's bargaining with. She doesn't have to bargain with her husband so that way he can love her. If she would just walk with Jesus and be an example for Jesus and lead her husband as well. I love when I went to the, when, when I went to the Acts 29 conference, one of, the, one of the pastors, he was speaking to the pastors in, in the, in, in, that were going to be ordained or whatever, that were going to become part of the network. And when he was communicating with them, he was talking to the wives. And he said to the wife, he said he was interviewing a couple. And when he was interviewing this couple, he was talking to the husband and the wife. And he said to the wife, said to the wife, so who pastors your husband? And the wife was like, you know, she was kind of like shocked. She didn't really have an answer. And she's like, well, you know, I guess his former pastor. And he's like, okay, but how, how, how much time does his former pastor spend with him? How, how, how much time do they really get together? And she was like, well, I don't know. She's like, okay, so who pastors him? And she's going to give the answer. And he said, I need you to understand something. You shepherd him. You shepherd him. Nobody else knows him like you know him. Nobody else has the intimate confidence you have with him. It doesn't mean you're over him. It means that you're going to be used by God to help him grow in grace because where nobody else is going to be there in his life, where nobody else is going to be able to speak into his life because they won't know about it, you're there. You're there. And so as a wife, as a woman of God, on her face before the Lord, you don't have to bargain. You don't have to do, you don't have to do none of that stuff. You need to walk with Jesus and let him follow Jesus, and you know what he'll do? He'll love you. Children, the same way. They don't need to be threatened into obedience Parents, lead your children to Jesus. 
When they get focused on Jesus, they will follow Jesus and they will walk in obedience to their parents because that is what Jesus will require of them. Same thing with leaders. Let me talk to the leaders because you're like, parents, this and that, husbands, wife. What about the leaders? Leaders, we don't have to threaten you. Well, if you leave this church, you're going to walk under a curse. Please. Listen, 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 listen. I, 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 I want you to get something, okay? You walk in disobedience, no matter what it is, you walk in disobedience, you bring calamity onto your life, period. Doesn't matter if you're here or across the street. You can leave in disobedience and experience things, but the big picture isn't the church, it's Christ. You disobeyed him. And so what is our goal? Our goal is not to scare you or manipulate you to make you stay. It's to help you to fall deeply, radically, passionately in love with Jesus so that way you follow him as we follow him. So I'll stand to our feet and let us pray. Father, we humble our hearts before you today. And God, we've heard your word, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would direct us, that you would lead us, Father God, closer to you. Lord, we want to know you in the fullness that we can know while we're here on this earth. We want to know you in intimacy. We want to know you like you can be known, Father. We want to know you, Jesus, and your grandeur and your splendor. We want to know you in your resurrection power. We want to know you, Lord God. We want you, Jesus. God, I pray that we would become, Lord God, that church that is focused solely on you. God, that church that doesn't just keep you in sight or keep you in mind, but, Lord God, that our hearts are totally devoted to you, that our lives are totally devoted to you. Father, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Help us to grow there, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, not to become wearied by our cross that we carry, but, Lord God, to be focused on our Savior who is there with us, my God. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters that are here today. Lord God, you see everything that they are facing. You see everything that they are going through. And I pray that none of it, Lord God, would become greater in its majesty in their lives than you, Jesus. God, that no one, Lord God, would take precedence over you, Lord God. That no circumstance or situation would trump their passion for you, Father God. That we would not be overwhelmed by anything other than your grace, God. Father, help us to grow as we walk with you. Lord, I pray your blessing in your holy and righteous name. We pray and we thank you. Everybody said, give God a hand of praise. Really quickly as Pastor Chad.